Imagine that you were a young man in your 20s, a new college graduate. It is March 1969, and you just moved to the quaint town of Milledgeville, Georgia. Grand historic houses here are cheap. Your realtor told the city told you that the city has been in gradual decline since the capital moved to Atlanta. The main attraction to the city now is the college and insane asylum. Sliding the last box across the kitchen floor, you decide to call it a night. It's cool outside, but not so cold that you regret your choice to move in before your realtor could call someone to fix the electricity. You blow out the candles one by one and make your way upstairs to bed. Exhausted from a day of moving, you fall asleep as soon as your head hits the pillow. You wake with a start a short time later. The sound of music flows through the cracks in the vintage door. You hear jovial voices. It sounds like a party. A party in your house. Moonlight shines through your window, illuminating your empty room. Suddenly, your door begins to creak open, and an eerily white woman in a grand dress slowly slides through your doorway. Hello, this is Oh, What a Southern Gender Woman, a weekly podcast bringing you undertold Southern stories through a gendered disciplinary lens. As you probably know, Georgia history is and always has been heavily contentious. From contemporary issues like Confederate monuments and abortion rights to the issues of yesteryear like Confederate monuments and abortion rights, today, I'm going to be talking about a very strong yet generally unknown contributor to the economy, dark tourism. National Geographic defines dark tourism as visiting places associated with death and suffering. Georgia's dark tourism primarily comes in the form of ghost tours and Civil War battlefields, sometimes both. However, there may be something even more socially sinister and damaging behind these haunting tales. The ghost that haunted the Milledgeville house in 1969 was at a house called Homestead, according to legend. She was a gentle, attractive Southern Belle who apparently now throws ghostly parties. However, she's not the only ghost that haunts that specific house. Residents have also reported seeing a female banshee, a spirit who appears when when warning someone of the death of a loved one. Interestingly, the Banshee is reported to have appeared at three specific times, during the Civil War, 1920s, and 1960s. It is interesting in this folktale that the Banshee, a woman in a long dress bringing bad news to Southerners, appears during very intense times in Southern history. The Civil War, for obvious reasons like losing enslaved population, the freedom of African Americans, the loss of many white men as Confederate soldiers, the 1920s, when commercialization of the North and urban areas rose, women earned the right to vote, and Jim Crow laws surged with the revival of the KKK, and the 1960s, when African Americans fought for their rights as well as women and the LGBTQ community. All of these events saw a violent tug-and-pull with the status quo, 
leading many politicians and other influential people to hearken back to history and the, quote, good old times. The Banshee is not the only ghost with these historical coincidences. University of Mississippi's Haley Cooper wrote about a culturally fabricated ghost of a Southern belle in an antebellum dress who was first reportedly seen in 1966. Cooper wrote that while the true story of the woman that lived in that house was very different than her ghost lore, this change in narrative helped Southerners find solace in the gender norms shift of the 1960s. This brings me to one facet of this episode's argument. Southern ghost stories are extensions of the South's lost cause narrative. The lost cause, as you all may be familiar with, is the idea that the Southern campaign was always doomed, that enslaved people were actually treated really well in the South, and now that they are freed, they are in poverty, and that is definitely 100% the only reason. It also said that Confederate men were so brave on the battlefields, and Southern women maintained the house at great cost to their physical and mental abilities. Also, now white women are in danger and must be protected. And that the Confederates fought over states' rights, not slavery. These misconceptions were spread throughout Southern newspapers, budding museums, textbooks, as well as large monuments on state government grounds throughout the late 19th and first half of the 20th century. This narrative was a way at keeping hold of antebellum status quo, and ghost stories reflect some of this sentiment. Even stories and sightings that take place in battlefields or inns talk about Confederate soldiers marching around or in battle. These soldiers are described in a very masculine appearance, almost always in uniform, even if missing a body part. What did these Southern ghosts say about our culture? Historian Tia Miles wrote in her book, Tales from the Haunted South, a quintessential piece of dark tourism scholarship, that ghost stories, quote, can dredge up unsettling social memories for re-examination. There's another kind of ghost lore in the South and is much more popular, the ghost of enslaved people. As Tia Miles said, sometimes ghost stories are a way of reckoning with our dark past in a safe, distant way where we do not have to take responsibility. It is about having history in the present, but not looking at the repercussions of that history or the long-term effects of things like slavery. One of the best and most unfortunate stories of an enslaved woman in Savannah is also retold in Miles's book. The infamous, or famous now, Sorrel Weed House is home to perhaps the most commercialized ghost story. Tours cost a hot dollar, and ghost investigators from all across the country come to catch a glimpse at the ghost of Molly. According to folklore, Molly was a house slave. You guessed it, she's called a servant in the older tours, and possibly tours today, who had a relationship with the owner, Francis Sorrell, who was married to a woman named Matilda. This relationship, if true was more than likely a forced or raped situation. But here we see the flowery language found in many accounts of the Lost Cause narrative. Upon discovering this relationship, 
Matilda killed herself, and Molly was murdered, probably by Francis Sorrel, later. The Sorrelweed house is said to be haunted by both women, but most of the sightings are of Molly's ghosts. If we take what Miles says about the ghost as a way of reckoning with an upsetting past, it makes sense why so many Southern ghost stories involve not only enslaved people, but enslaved women. Black women historically have faced the worst of humanity. Enslaved women were frequently raped by white owners, and black women in the 1940s through 70s were frequently victims of rape by white men in an attempt to maintain white supremacy in the South. Ghost stories like Molly's are not only a way for people to continue to profit off black bodies, but also an attempt to keep black women subjugated, figuratively, in this antebellum gender role. It's absolutely insane. It's easier to deal with difficult history if it's presented as something that's supposed to be unsettling and not taken as socially relevant today. Ghost stories, like sexist and racist movies, songs, language, and inaccurate historical narratives, serve as a means of maintaining the status quo. They are used as fear tactics, but also as sources of compensation for unexplainable or unimaginable events or practices. And in some well-documented cases, ghost sightings, can, ghost sightings can coincide with significant times of change in the status quo for the South. This is why I believe ghost stories and folklore are an extension of the lost cause narrative. All right. That's all for this week, y'all. Next week, I'll try to pick a topic that's not as dark, but it's Georgia's history, so, you know. All right, bye.